You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. I can tell you, you want to listen on because it was such an interesting conversation because we talked about all the unconscious beliefs that drive our decision making. We talked about, do we really want to be rescued? And do you want to be rescued when you outsource your financial decisions to so-called experts and the expert economy? I think that we have... um a convict mentality around money in Australia um, and we have a very traditional uh, approach to it. So where we get our advice from is usually around the barbecue uh, at the backyard or it comes from our parents and it is uh, directed and influenced purely by that. It's, it's really just mystifying. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Boot Camp and we have a cracking dumbbell of the week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Susie Jacobs, a fabulously outspoken and honest podcaster, and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, for over 30 years, Susie has worked with top influential business and thought leaders to transform their experience of business and grow their wealth from inside out. And today we're going to dig into beliefs about money and why sometimes we hand over responsibility for our financial success, and this is very much related to property, and the consequences of doing that. As a pioneer in women-led business networks, Susie founded She Business and led thousands to business success. And building on this financial foundation, she sold She Business and launched Finesque in 2016 to demystify financial language and create opportunities for financial independence and security. And over the past decade, Susie has graced the international business stage as a thought-provoking keynote speaker and inspiring MC. I sound so good. I don't I mean, I really, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. (laughs) Now, more recently, she's launched the Change Room podcast to revolutionise results for business leaders across the world. And I am an avid fan of that podcast. And thank thank you you so much for joining us today. It's great. Great to be here. Love to have a chat. Thanks, Susie. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, So you've launched uh, Finesque and that's around helping women kind of master financial wellbeing? Uh, It's actually broader than that, but it's, I suppose it's taking a bit of a female, it's been such a male dominated industry for so long. There is so much (laughs) jargon associated and it's very sort of, it's the the whole marketing is really marketed to men. So what we're looking at is taking that filter off and going, okay, well, what does it look like if we change up the language and change the look and feel of... Uh, money and, and finances. So it's probably got that filter rather than just targeted to women. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I am a financial advisor and been it for 11 years and, you know, you go to any event and it's probably 90% of the room, maybe 95% men um, and probably 90% of those are over 50. Yes. Um, so, so you're bringing down the age demographic um, considerably by just being there, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. For, for the listeners, Chris is Gen Y. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely Gen Y. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's... An, and, you know, a lot of that's been built around kind of retirees and, you know, this dream life and things like that. So, you know, a lot of new businesses are kind of popping up, I guess, with, you know, a different take on things because, you know, new generations coming through, I guess. New generations, and I think that uh, we're all living quite different lives to 
our parents' lives or my parents' lives, definitely, uh, we're in much better health. We have an expectation that we're going to live a lot longer and that mm. we're going to be mobile and active a lot longer. And the reality is 65 as a retirement age is probably unrealistic and not due to because we're forced uh, by that age bracket, but rather we're active and we want to be involved mm. and engaged with the world. And being in business, certainly as a business owner, that's one way we do it, right? So, yes, the whole financial conversation hopefully is changing and less focused on, okay, get ready for retirement and more like, well, what do we want to create now and, and how do we want to – what's our lifestyle now and then over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah, I so mean – So it's an active thing. 100%. I mean, the word retirement is just a horrible word, right? Like yeah. it doesn't – and it doesn't sit very well with 30s, 40-year-olds, 20-year-olds. It just doesn't – doesn't well, excite it do- them at all. It doesn't excite me at 50. Yeah. And to thinking, you know, I could retire in 15 years. I don't think so. I don't want to. Yeah. 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 Well, freedom to redefine how you work perhaps, but not completely stop it. And then go, you know, purple rinse brigade and start up lawn bowls. But um, <laughs> I can just see it now, <laughs> Veronica. So you painted a beautiful picture there. Off yeah. That. yeah. But you talked about the language that needs to change, that, that mm. you are changing through finesse. So, Talk a bit about that. What is the language that has been sort of more typically male skewed or male dominated perhaps versus the way in which women particular or or the change in language so that we can have different conversations? Okay. So I think firstly is you've got to look at the, the, our sort of beginnings, how the, the evidence for where we are at the moment. So having worked with business owners and female business owners over the past 10, 15 years, um, I've had a great insight into the thinking and the way we think about business. And what I could see is that people see their business as a business. They don't see it as their part of their investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. So at the point that I sold She Business back at the beginning of 2017, uh, I could see how I'd done exactly the same thing. There was my business and then there was my house and then there was my share portfolio or whatever, but I didn't see them connected. Mm. And that is a, I think, is, is a big risk. And it's also a missed opportunity. If we can use our business and apply the same filter of investment and financial thinking around that and see it as a part of our entire investment strategy, we start making different sorts of decisions. Yep. And so with those female business owners, I started, you know, the ones that I continue to mentor. So I sold my business and that was a kind of a higher volume business. Now I work with no more than sort of five or 10 clients at any one time. And everything we talk about is this business as an investment and a part of their investment portfolio. So that's one aspect of it. It's just changing the landscape. And then the second part is the language. And so over the last couple of years, I have invested my time in uh, understanding the financial uh, investment space. I'm not a financial advisor, so do not take anything I say as, um, and then, and you know, I don't know what. Yep. As advice. We have a disclaimer the, on the, this the, anyway. There you go. Because yeah. I have a disclaimer right here. <laughs> yes. But what I do do is make it accessible. And I can sit with my clients while they're getting um, advice around finances and structuring and investment platforms. And I can see with a client when they've blanked out and they have no idea what that person is talking about. And my role there is translated to decode, to stop the conversation, to get the butcher's paper out, to start plotting it out so they actually can take responsibility um, by being educated and, and owning 
the choices that they then make. Make better decisions. Do women speak differently about financial matters than men, do you think? Or are, Without, we, are, we, are we less likely to want to talk about it? We know that we know that uh, there's enough research out there which shows we just haven't had those decisions. So it's not that's not even an opinion. It's just mm. it is the fact. Uh, we made far more of the financial decisions within the domestic space, so at home. That's a different skill set and different language to mm. what's required when we look at investment strategies. So we haven't had the experience. Mm. We're also at a particular point in time where women are earning more and uh, owning their own businesses at a far greater rate than men. So we're just, we haven't been at this place before. Yeah. So different skill set required, different expertise and knowledge required. Mm. So it's not that we think about it differently. We just haven't had the opportunities uh, that our male counterparts have. Yeah, I mean, it's a big point, actually, because a lot of inheritance is coming through the generations now as well. And, you know, you, you got a boy, a, you know, a son or a daughter, and, you know, a lot of that money is going to go into daughters and, you know, and they're going, what do I do with it as well? And um, it's a huge opportunity. It's very interesting you say around business owners don't see their business as an investment as well. Unfortunately, when business owners want to get advice on their business, they go to an accountant, right? Oh, yes. And um, accountants always looking backwards. You know, what did you, where's all your expenses? You know, how much money did you make? Um, Very few accountants, you know, see themselves as more management accountants and more kind of forward thinking. Um, There are some that are going that direction that they have to because of, you know, automation of the other side. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a big gap. And so the financial advice boards on one side where, you know, dealing with a lot of people who are basically paid and employees uh, and then accountants deal with a lot of business owners. And there's this huge gap in between where people get lost and they just... They don't really know what to do with their money, so they just keep investing in their business. And the problem with that is that the business will either do really well and you'll make a lot of money and things will go really well, or it won't. And if it doesn't, you haven't hedged yourself. You haven't built any kind of personal assets. So yeah. I agree. Mm. And also I just like the um, – what's the word? I'm it, The – when you have to, when you're bouncing off other investments and you've got something to compare it to, I think it's just a great strategy as a business owner to be looking at what what return are you getting on your investment in business mm. versus what could you be getting in other areas. Opportunity and that's a, cost. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a real um, eye opener, and it mm. and it keeps it it just changes the conversation. So I think it is that that breadth of uh, financial. Um, opportunities in different areas is just really worthwhile. And going back to your point about women getting access to uh, the legacy of, say, their family uh, wealth being passed down, we've got a client in exactly that situation at the moment. So she's just been inherited a whole bunch of money. She's never had this opportunity before. Really uh, experienced, talented doctor um, with great expertise, uh, but has no idea. And so our role is Mm. now to educate her. And I never want to be responsible for somebody's financial decisions. So unless I can see your eyes wide open and that you are taking on board and understanding what the process is and that what you're doing, we I won't move forward. Yeah, and the problem is that if she didn't know you, for example, and she might have known you before, but if she went online, she wouldn't really know where to go. And you yeah, know, what do you the, type into Google? You, if you typed in financial advice, you would really be hit with pretty boring, plain websites mm. that would be very investment driven. You know, yachts and retiree couples, and you know, it's it's <laughs> basically, and you would you go in a bit of a rabbit hole, right? And you can't, and it's very hard to find. Now there are 
good financial advisors out there that are... I believe you're one of them. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> I listened to the podcast <laughs> earlier on. I heard some one of your other guests raving about you, so... Um, yep. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's it's, it's a very... It's a cool space. Um, it's a huge opportunity, to be honest, like for a lot of advisors who kind of get it. Um, they see that, you know, the old industry this kind of boring, you know, jargon, let's sell investments. It's not really working. and um, it's, it's product related. And Chris, I think one of the, one of the hardest things is with all, with the general experience not being great of financial, in the yep. financial industry, it's again about breaking down that language but to be able to cut through to show a different way. And I think that's also one of the opportunities that people have. Yeah, I mean, people don't even know what a financial advisor really does. And then when they go through an experience it's actually a good one. They go, oh wow, that's not what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be, you know, about how to invest money, and it's actually not. It's actually about let's plan your life out. Let's think about where you want to go with your family and your kids, and your like work a financial and, life coach. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what we're doing is we're making big decisions that have, you know, every decision there's a financial element to it. It might be little, might be, you know, huge, and I guess that's what a financial advisor really should be doing. It's just it's not what society thinks they do. Um, and I think, I mean, Veronica was talking about personal responsibility and, and I said to you, you know, until I see the, that light switch go on in somebody's head, I don't want to move forward to the next thing. And, mm. I, and I think that that's coming back to that jargon piece as well. So important. And my client who, who was the person who got this inheritance, the first person she did go to see, she was just talked at the entire time. And yep. there was a lot of fear-driven conversations that this person was having with her. Mm. So she walked away just, yeah, not inspired, fearful, which I know mm. is a sales tactic, but not one that I would recommend or use myself. And yep. so, um, you know, the, there is a lot of that still going on in the industry, which yep. makes it really hard for people to engage with us the other and thing, expect something different. Yeah, and so the other thing too, and, and one of our bugbears or my bugbears around financial planners is that property is an enormous part of anybody's financial plan. It is. Yep. Yet so many financial planners don't view property as a financial product because they don't make any money from recommending it or it means that too many funds are directed into property, which means they don't have enough to manage and actually charge a commission on yep. or because they're not licensed and not insured to talk about property or because they just aren't holistic thinkers and they don't think, okay, we need to bring in all the experts that you need to talk to and you need to get advice from not just my corner. You know, we need to understand you need really solid, grounded advice across the board so you can probably make those eyes wide open decisions. And it's hard too because we, you know, individuals, it's overwhelming. And so we want to just think, oh, how can we simplify? I mean, this podcast is called The Elephant in the Room. And, and for listeners, if you go back to episode one, where all the behavioural biases that are in play at, at an auction, for instance, are at play every single day in our lives. You know, the elephant's our subconscious mind. It drives so much more of what we do than what we think it does. Yep. And, and all of this stuff goes on. And when something's really complex and overwhelming, we are going to, by nature, want to dumb it down and simplify it so that we can actually make a decision quickly. Would you say that, have you, you know, yeah. is that something you've addressed? Yeah. So I think there are two issues there. One is that you talked about the the idea of advisory. So if we could use that more and really lead with that to start with, mm. transparency is the other one. When we're talking about the way that the financial industry has worked over the past, God knows how many decades, it has not been transparent. And I think people are wary of that. When we talk to clients, we talk about the journey of transitional thinking 
and it's being willing to plot out where they are on that journey and let them know where they may end up. And that, that's okay. You, the, all that fear, um, you're going to face that. And it's about staying on the journey long enough to be able to be educated enough to then make an independent decision. And it's a little bit yeah. like letting them realize you don't know what you don't know. And then you go into that, is it conscious incompetence or unconscious yep. incompetence? Whatever yep. it is. <laughs> you go to that One phase. Of those. Yeah, yeah, you go to that phase where it's like, oh shit, there's so much I don't know. Mm. And then that's, that's, can be massively overwhelming. So what are you saying? You hold their hand through that, that valley to. of the shadow of death to get them to the other side. Yeah, because otherwise they're going to jump off mm. or out, one of the two. <laughs> Probably jump out. Uh, they, they get, yeah, they will disengage. Mm. And if we, can keep the, 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 um, if we can keep the outcome in mind from an advisory perspective and, and our duty of care, I think, around being able to get, keep them on that journey so that they can make a choice. Whether yep. the choice is something that you agree with or not, that's irrelevant. Mm. It's keeping them on that journey so that uh, certainly for me that I can be comfortable that they've had, got enough information to choose um, and to own that choice. Yeah, the, I think the hardest part with financial advice is it's been built you know, there's been lots of legacy issues. Transparency is a huge one. And the problem is that when clients come to financial advisors, they think that they're there to make money, you yes. know, and they're there to, the advisor's advi job is to help them make more money. But money doesn't make you happy, right? So, you know, more money just necessarily, if, if you've got more money, but you aren't, you know, you've got balance, you're not living where you want to live, you haven't got health, um, you're not, you know, spending time at, you know, with your family, you know, these, you know, so financial advisors just always, the past just focus on money outcomes. Now, what clients really care about though, isn't really the money. They want to live the life they want to live. And, you know, a lot of advisors haven't really, you know, even thought to think, you know, ask them questions about, you know, what happened when they were younger, you know, what's their relationship with money, you know, mm. do they spend, do they save, you know, all these kind of beliefs that are kind of created when you're younger um, that are playing out when you're older. And, mm. you know, your client there, which inherited a lot of money, that's a huge point in her life. And before you rush out and decide what to do with the money, you need to kind of pack out, well, what does she really want out of life? It's changed her direction of her life. It's gave her new options. And, um, you know, how do you think kind of, beliefs that, you know, that we have, we all have um, kind of play out in our finances. We think we're rational thinkers. <laughs> we think we're like, you yeah. know, we're smart human <laughs> we beings. We think we're the puny rider on top of the elephant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and like, and I would say to you, my 51-year-old self makes really great decisions. Mm. Unfortunately, it's my three-year-old self making most of them and I'm just unconscious of that. Mm. And so uh, those those filters, beliefs, that fundamental way that we operate in life mm. absolutely impacts, uh, you know, decisions I'm making today. The more I can raise my awareness to the truth of that so that I don't uh, walk around thinking that I'm a rational human being making rational decisions. And we know this through uh, greater neuroscience and, and inroads we're making there that it's, it, you know, our, our current self is not the one responsible for making lots of the choices. Mm. So I think, again, our opportunity is to actually call the elephant in the room, right? Just name it for our clients and take them on a bit of a journey so you can, we can dig up some of those issues, again, uncomfortable, but let's get mm. them out. Mm. So, again, that they can be conscious of them. Uh, 
um, raise their own awareness, which, as you say, that's not a money issue, but that's a huge benefit in life. So that's mm. just yep. an, a value add mm. uh, for, for the journey that they go on. Um, there is actually one episode of your podcast about that challenging your beliefs. I think I even meant, I think I even posted on your Facebook page after that. It was really good. I mean, it's all good. I think it's really good. Fantastic. But that particular episode does challenge you to think, okay, what stories am I telling myself? And is it really true? And where did that belief come from in the first place? And just to challenge that. So for instance, it could be that, you know, your parents um, were really frugal, you know, and, and so there's this unconscious belief that that spending money even investing money yep. is is wasteful and you know and not a good thing right and so whether that's your belief or not but when you take that into adulthood and never having questioned it and then you might for instance get a big inheritance and it will sit in the bank earning 2% interest if you're lucky rather than actually making that work for you because you you're not brave enough to go and invest that because that seems like spending and so these are the sorts of ways that these unconscious beliefs that have been set inside of us from childhood if they're never brought out and, and examined and questioned and then yep. reprogrammed effectively. Can so I've got, us. yeah, I've got a couple of good examples for that. So um, I grew up in a family of academics, so they're all highly educated. They're philosophers, writers, uh, judges, lawyers, that kind of stuff, right? That's not me. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so I grew up um, like the black sheep of the family and I always thought that I was stupid because academically I wasn't smart. And the belief that I had for so much of my life is until you're university educated to that extent, mm. you cannot be successful in life. Yep. You won't make money. Yep. So guess what? I'm the spender in the family. Mm. I spend up big. The rest of my family, the authors, the philosophers, they're frugal. They can live on the sniff mm. of an oil rag. Why? Because that, that what they were taught is that they will be successful, they will always have money. Yeah. So that's, I just think, yeah. and it's a belief. And, and so I, I recognise that in myself. Uh, but there's also the flip side, which is I now know my 51-year-old self or probably my 23-year-old self become a real survivor. So I also have a belief, which is I will always make money. Mm. But that just makes me spend more money. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Because I always know I'll be able to. That's all right. I'll get it again. I'll, I'll make it again. Always. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, I think we, you know, we just don't really know that these are affecting us, right? And that's the hard part. And, mm. you know, on one side, you know, your, your family, I guess, knew that we, we get educated and we will make money. But, you know, a lot of people who aren't educated believe that they can't be good with finances, right? And it's completely different skills. You know, how you manage your day-to-day -day finances has nothing to do with whether you're a good doctor or you're driving buses or whatever you do in life. It's completely separate. And, um, I mean, just a hats off probably to Scott Pape here, which the Barefoot Investor, because, you know, he's sold, you know, well over a million books now, maybe even 1.5 million and a lot of his his readers, you know, all demographics and more work of life, but they're all taking control of their finances by just taking some personal responsibility and not trying to just let life kind of take control. How do you think kind of responsibility, you know, plays on our decisions in life and whether, you know, we are consciously, you know, whether we should be taking responsibility of our finances? Well, yes, we should. <laughs> um, personal responsibility, I don't think is high on people's list of priorities these days. You only need to look around the political landscape, mm. um, the way we operate in business. We've become really litigious uh, and we want to blame everyone for everything. Uh, and it's a real issue mm. uh, in life now is uh, 
yeah, there, there's a serious lack of personal responsibility. Mm. Mm. Uh, people see it as blame, whereas the way I position responsibility is being at the cause um, in my life. So if I'm being responsible for how my life occurs, yeah. I then am at the point where I can make the changes. But if I'm always blaming others, I'm just at the effect of stuff. So I have, you know, I'm often hauled over the coals for the fact that I have no interest in the political system as it now stands. I don't get involved in politics. I just mm-hmm. don't even get involved in that conversation because I don't, I think it's a lost cause. Mm. Where I do think we can make a difference <laughs> is the generations coming in behind us and the mm. people who are going to be looking after our nation as we age yep. are those next generations. And I think there are two conversations missing from our education curriculum and that is the feelings and finance conversation. And we don't talk about emotional well-being, which comes down to yep. things like personal responsibility, and we don't talk about finance. We don't talk about money. And I'm currently working on a project which is going to take me to country Australia, outback Australia, remote areas, talking about feelings, finance, and really developing the future leaders of Australia because I, the world I want to grow up in, the Australia that I see of the next decades coming is going to be uh, formed by the people who are going Mm. through school now. And so my, you talk about personal responsibility, absolutely critical. And I'm being responsible for making a difference to the people who are going to look after our country financially, as well as in uh, socially. Yeah, I guess I can really tell when clients are taking things quite seriously and, you know, rather than kind of you know, coming to me and looking for a magic solution, right? And generally speaking, it's because they've taken personal responsibility and they've, they're looking at things quite objectively and said, well, you know, I've made some mistakes, you know, I've did buy that property and I, yeah, I did it on the knowledge that I had at the time. Yeah, it was, yes, it was in, in hindsight, it was a mistake, but I didn't know that at the time, but I'm going to deal with it now, you know? And yep. um, yes, I'm not very good with money. Yes, I've got too much debt. Yes, I haven't got, you know, insurance. Yes, that's in the past, but, you know, we can't really forget about that now. Let's deal with this now and move forward. And I guess with, you know, a lot of advisors, people try to outsource their personal responsibility to someone else. Mm. And I guess it just doesn't work like that. You've got to kind of always be responsible for your own future. And um, how do you think the kind of other experts kind of play into things? And um, should we outsource our responsibility to others? No, is my short answer. Uh, So The Change Room, which is the podcast that we've been recording this past year that Veronica um, mentioned, is based on this idea, which I saw very much in the business arena, but I think it applies just as much in the the financial arena, which is uh, we have created over the past probably decade what I call the expert economy. So everyone now wants to position themselves as an expert. And in fact, there are programs that you can go and do where you can position yourself as an expert. It doesn't actually mean that you are the expert. Can I tell right? you, I'm doing one of those at the moment. It's really interesting. Just because you say you are, some of the crap that's coming out of this, some people in my space, i.e. in the property space, and, and they've gone through this and the way that they've set things up, and it's garbage. <laughs> it's garbage. Because just because I say I'm an expert and the problem in property is that there's no regulation. I'd like you to tell me what you really think now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Yes, Ditto, I hear you. Mm. Uh, And it is an issue which we have created and therefore we also need to take responsibility for 
for it because whatever occur, <laughs> occurs in our world mm. is what we have created, and right? Allowed. And allowed. So there are lots of people there marketing themselves as experts. Mm. I have worked with clients over the past year. It makes my skin crawl when I hear about the money that they have spent in the accountancy space, in the marketing mm. space, on people who have positioned themselves as experts. Mm. Yeah. They have abdicated responsibility rather than delegate their responsibility. Big difference. Mm. And our personal responsibility ensures that we are educated enough to be able to make informed decisions. That's being personally responsible. And it can be tricky in, uh, in this world where we've created this market economy for experts. So the thing I would say to people is slow down to speed up. Yeah. Mm. They say you underestimate, we overestimate what we can get done in, in a week and underestimate what we can get done in a year. Yeah. So if we just slow down, get that we are the masters of our destiny and we are personally responsible for it and yeah. make sure we do the research and that we're comfortable with the greatest love and wisdom we have at that moment in time. It doesn't mean we're going to be right. It doesn't mean that things are going to go perfectly. But it's a willingness to say, I choose this and I choose it and I trust myself to choose it no matter what the end result is. And, yeah. and I love it because slow down to speed up doesn't mean procrastination. No. It actually means I'm slowing down to educate myself to make sure that I actually, with my eyes wide open, can make a good decision with the best information that I've got yeah. available. And I know certainly it's, look, you know, as a small business owner, I know that that whole marketing space, you know, and all these promises out there, and I've fallen for some of it too, and then realise I've got to learn the basics and fundamentals of how to do certain things. Like I've had to learn the fundamentals of WordPress and SEO before I could then actually find the right person to help yep. Um, yep. after paying lots of the wrong people who promised all sorts of shit. Haven't and we all, haven't right? We all, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and likewise with property, I've made mistakes in property and I've learned through, from that and I've actually applied them all into my business so that we can help our clients not make the mistakes that I personally mm. have mis made. But also in property, in business, there's some synergies there definitely and certainly in the financial thing, the get rich quick, this is the way to do it. This is, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry. It's like the, it's even horse racing. You'll see it. You know, this is how I bet, you know, make so much money in horse racing. You can buy courses on the bloody thing. I you don't know, even know how, how to put a bet on at the moment. How, so, yeah. <laughs> this is how I game the stock market. It's like if you really were that successful, you just shut up about it and do it. Yeah, you know, right. they make all money more money out of telling people their system or selling their system than they do actually out of it because the reality is it's 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 selling a bullshit dream. And this is the problem with this expert economy, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I guess the the hard part with, uh, you know, with, with this, I really love the slow down to speed up. The reason why is, especially with property and, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, are thinking about property or they're looking to buy property and, you know, they'll come to me and... I, my approach is not fast at all. My approach is let's slow down. Let's talk through your life. And, you know, I won't be on the, as soon as they leave, I don't send them an email the next morning and say, send me these docs. And, you know, I kind of really slow them down and say, these are huge decisions. You need to really make sure that this is the right decision, you know, figure out what your next decision after it. Um, and it's not, and it's usually like they're kind of, well, you know, I'm ready to go now or you know, mm. I'm thinking about buying. And if you kind of wind back and you look at, um, you know, and I've probably looked at, I don't even know, thousands and thousands of clients over the year or spoke to over the phone. And um, if you wind back their decisions, usually when they've made a mistake, it's because they've rushed it. Yeah. Um, and I think our entire economy pulls for that rushed decision. Yeah. If you look at the marketing space, Veronica, same thing. It is just saying speed up, make yeah. a decision now. We're on social channels all the time. So every the 
to be responsible for the fact the world we are creating is one where we're speeding up. And then I reckon our role and, and, and certainly a position I take is while everyone's zigging and speeding up, I'm zagging, I'm slowing down. And that's my place and the position I take when it comes to personal responsibility and the people I work with mm. and is not to play that game. And if that's the game you want to play, I'm not the person to, to play with, yeah. <laughs> right? And if that means losing business, happy with that. I can point you in the direction of a whole bunch of other people who are good at what they do, but you just won't get that uh, approach with me. And by you holding that position and you holding it, Veronica and me, we're making a bit of a stand mm. for something different in the world. Yeah, and I think if you're in that position, I just know when I'm in that position when someone's trying to rush me to a decision, um, I just walk away, you know, and I think especially in property, like if you're in a position where, you know, someone's trying to suggest a property to you or you're thinking about doing this, you know, you one day you're walking the dog and you see these in the paper all the time and then you're, all of a sudden you're thinking about buying a property, um, you know, I've got one client at the moment. and <laughs> I've you know, had that happen, by the way. Yeah. As a selling agent, <laughs> I literally had somebody rock up to an auction with their dog and this back before we had to get registrations. So he literally just walked in and bought this property. And you just think, and it was a, it was a dog of a property, right? Interestingly <laughs> enough, he with his dog to the point that the tenants actually had dogs and that backyard was full of dog shit. And I just, <laughs> it was, and it put off most buyers. And yet this guy didn't even go at the back, didn't even know mm. that, I mean, not the clean up. All that, of course, but, say, but it was just really—it's just really interesting that he just <laughs> rocked up and and literally bought it. There are people out there that make these absolute rash decisions around property. We see it all the time, even in a slowing market. Mm. Well, why do we want to be rescued? Ah, oh, just go to all our uh, fairy tales and our stories. You know, it's a it's a, you know lessons and stories we've heard for a lifetime, and it gets played out unconsciously again, right? So it's just more of the same and our raising awareness and, and, you know, I think it, just like the financial industry may have had a bad rap over the years, I think the personal development, human mm. potential space also, but the truth is emotional intelligence is a far greater indicator of success than intellect. Mm. Yeah. So on that basis, the more we know about ourselves, the more greater understanding we have of how we operate the less we will fall for the fairy tale, the less we'll want to be Rapunzel and we'll actually step in to uh, go through that journey of transitional thinking to be responsible, to take ownership of our choices. And I think one of the things that sometimes holds us back is we think that when we make a choice, we're also trying to take into consideration, will it be successful? And you only have the information you have at that time. And so it's about trusting yourself, having gathered the information, taken that advice from others, but in the end being responsible for your own life. Mm. And no guarantees, but it's a commitment mm. to be informed, be educated and to take responsibility. Well, it's managed risk, isn't it? It's Everything's a risk in life, but the more you know, the more conscious you are about your decision-making and the more aware you are of yourself and what you're in, you're your unconscious leanings are going to be, then you can mitigate the risks. So I think even just that term manage risk, uh, language is such an interesting thing, how it can either cut through mm. or uh, the, the, in, you know, the vast amount of data we're taking in. So I think every second we take in 11 million pieces of data, right? So it's massive. Uh, language is a way we can cut through. 
So even when we look at decoding, one of the conversations we had at the very beginning, the, the financial language, what are we saying, which is what we've always said, which is just going to um, be heard as blah, 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 blah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just basic things like manage risk. What are you actually say saying? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really mm, thought about yeah, it particularly, yeah. but it's they'll just go, oh, that's a term that's just rolled out mm. all the time. Yeah. Mm. So... How are you going to say it next time we talk to it? Yeah, taking to a client, <laughs> mm. talking to a client. What are we actually trying to? Uh, what are we actually asking of them? Mm. What action do we want to take? Yeah. And so, with your business owners in your old business, um, you know, when they were kind of going through their property journey, you know, where was where were they getting their property advice? You know, where were they getting their property knowledge from? You know, were they not even thinking? Was it not on their radar? Like, how? Where do kind of the people that you speak to? you know, seek out experts, I guess. So I think that we have um, a convict mentality around money in Australia um, and we have a very traditional uh, approach to it. Mm. So where we get our advice from is usually around the barbecue, uh, at the backyard, or it comes from our parents and it is uh, directed and influenced purely by that. It's, mm. it's really just mystifying. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Susie, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Have you got one for us? I do. It's my own. Excellent. Uh, They're the best ones. ugly. Uh, (laughs) So... Chris, back to your question about, you know, where do you get your information from? Sometimes nowhere, yeah. <laughs> right? Sometimes we just make it up as we go along. So uh, we bought, I lived in Bondi for years, right? Lived in almost every street in Bondi and bought a couple of places, bought really, really well, sold at the top of the market. This was ages ago, just like rolling in it. It was you awesome. You know what you're doing. You're, no, you're I tell master. you what, I'm a guru, right? <laughs> and then go and invest in London. So we were moving off overseas and we went and bought a house in London, and that was just disastrous. We had not taken into consideration exchange rates. We hadn't taken into consideration that we didn't know the English market at all. And even though we got a, one of our friends was English, so we spoke to him, and he did alert us to, you know, the last time there was a massive property crash in London. It was disastrous. Mm. Well, we were involved in the GFC one, right? Mm. So we just, we lost big time. Massive. Ouch. Then. On exchange rate as well as. Exchange rate, tumbling market. We watched that market fall 30% over the course of about a month. And then we came back to Australia and they were all complaining about how the market had dropped like 10% over three years. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what pain is. Mm. Um, So we lost big time. Mm. And then, of course, all the moving costs associated with doing something like that. We would have been much better just even if we bank the money, I don't know, you guys would know the yeah, answer to that. Yeah. Leave it here in Australia, go off and rent something over there, come back when we're ready and and, and invest. Uh, and that was a life-changing, really not a good way um, yeah. decision. It can be crippling yeah. financially. Yeah, It is interesting too, a lot of people, you know, we talk about it just making tree changes and sea changes, you know, and, and um, that you sell out of one market into another and that's within the same country without having to worry about exchange rates and all those sorts of things. Um, and, and it's like, that once again, that's slow down to speed up. You don't have to own the home you live in if you're going to go somewhere different. Like, you know, there are other options. I don't, you know, I don't have to sell because I'm moving. Yeah. It's just that slowing down, looking at everything that's available to you and, 
taking your time to make those decisions. So that's really interesting, even the fact that you, you went in that all gung-ho because you'd done so well. So you had this, this, this uh, what's that? The Overconfidence. Pos- overconfidence, yeah. 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 And I'm an optimist and I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I've got that sort mm. of uh, business owner's mindset. Yeah. And like I said mm. to you before, I can always make money. Yeah. Everything is possible. Mm. And Yeah, everything <laughs> is possible. So all of those things are actually limitations. Yes, they've got mm. some really positive things. I'm very quick out of the blocks. I can get projects off the, off the ground. One of the drawbacks is I don't put the detail thinking mm. into something. And I look mm. back at that and no regrets. I had the most amazing time overseas. But when you ask me about that Dumbo moment. I was like, oh, yes, I remember that one. <laughs> that was painful. I, think I mean, there's a few things that are really interesting there. The, the dollar and the, the pound at that point, you know, the exchange rates and, you know, well, what it was. Weren't you getting three? You're getting uh, You would have paid three, probably probably $2.50 three dollars to the pound or something. Or something. To, $250,000 mm. would have probably been 100,000 pounds, let's say, you know. Yeah. Um, and then by the time you came back, you know, it was probably 160000 Dollars versus a hundred thousand pounds. So, you know, and exchange rates are something you just ha- you ha- no mm. idea where they're going to go. No idea. And you know, people think thought the Aussie dollar would go to eighty cents. It went to sixty. Yep. You know, and so uh, and and where and thought the dollar was going to finally drop from a dollar down to seventy, and it took four years. Like so, it's so hard to predict foreign exchange rates. And when you are investing internationally, you've got to be extremely careful. Um, I mean, the other thing you, which was quite interesting. You, people have very got short term bias, so. And what you've had is these last five years, the boom, right? And things are going up and everything's boom, boom, boom. And this is what's really hit Sydney investors is, you know, three years ago is that, you know, the mindset of everyone in 2016, 2015 was this is never going to stop. Mm. And, you know, and it did obviously. Mm. And people are only now got this short-term bias and saying, well, actually markets can actually go down. So, you know, there's lots of things that you know, that have happened there, but, you know. So, Chris, and also one of the, the just if you look at the effect of that experience, was that I've come to a decision that I will never own the home I live in. Wow. So I'm always going to buy investment properties rather than, live in the place that I own. And that comes from that experience. So I've got my, I'm conscious of it. And people might say, yeah, but it won't happen again. But that's just a choice I've made Mm. to say that I just, I, I, that I'll never get caught out like that. And that I'm spreading and diversifying my risk by buying places in different, probably in different places. If I was your financial advisor, I'd probably Sit there and kind of un- <laughs> yes. un- unpack that a little bit. I'm thinking because, that too. Um, <laughs> or my psychologist, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, you are missing a bit of a trick. Australia's greatest yeah. tax write-off, without doubt, is your home ownership. Yeah. Um, and so if you are successfully using the six-year rule, then, you know, you might be. But, you know, one of the big benefits of owning a home is it grows tax-free. And, you know, that's probably the biggest tax write-off out there. So, you know, I would, uh, you know, that's one of the challenges of taking that strategy, and which is it's become very popular in the last few years is something called rent vesting. Yeah. You know, we want to live wherever we want to live and, you know, we don't want to own a home. And it makes a lot of sense if there's interest-only loans, you know, you've got mm. big borrowing capacities, negative gearing exists, Um and that's mainly it. And so, also if you buy quality assets and what the problem is correct, that when, yeah. with diversification, once again, everything's got a silver lining and a you know yeah. dark side, um, is that diversification often leads people to buy in areas that actually aren't very good or they're yes, buying I a type of property that. that's yep. not very good because they think, well, I've got enough good ones, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. oh, now I've got to buy some bad ones. Um, and no one thinks I'm buying bad ones. They just think, well, where else am I going to buy? Oh, I know, I'm going to buy an apartment in Brisbane now. Uh-oh. Um, Yes, you know some fairly flawed 
rationale that sounds sensible and it comes back to that education, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And I also think that it's influenced by the conversation about you can never own your own home in Sydney, which has yeah. been like just everywhere over the past 10 100%. years. Also our lifestyle is changing and so – if I look at my mother who's still got her house up on the North Shore and uh, she will live there until they no doubt carry her out in a box, um, and I, that's not something I aspire to. Yeah. I do want that freedom to be able to move my whole thing over the next 20 years. So I've got a couple of projects on the, the go. One is to explore Australia by foot over the next decade, right? So it's all about just moving around yeah. and then the so other flexibility is, is important to you. Flexibility. Mm. So it's about being able to be in a place, close the door, lock it away, be able to go without a great commitment, financial commitment there. Mm. I think that's, I mean, I 100% see that in the you know younger people as well yeah. is um, they don't want what their parents had, right? And those, you know, those big houses in the suburbs and the, they just see that, that as, see it as effort <laughs> and time. They know that garden needs to be, you know, worked on and manicured and, you know, they know they need to fix mm. the roof and they want to go and travel and, you know, that kind of lifestyle didn't really exist 20 years ago. You know, it's yeah. $1,000 to London. It's, you know, that kind of yeah. way we think about things. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I agree. That's uh, it's, it's pretty cool because you can do it, right? And if you structure yourself right and you agree in your head that renting's fine and that I'm happy to rent and I'll deal with all the challenges of renting, you know, I don't, if the landlord kicks me out, they kick me out, but I will go and invest other, in other mm. places. And I have made a conscious decision that I will be comfortable to rent. And yeah. um, that's all you really need to do. Once you've done that, it opens up doors. Um, that's so that's really powerful. Yep. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful Pleasure. sitting here just chewing the fat with you and uh, finding out, you know, your learnings and your perspective and where you're coming from personally, but also how you're helping other people. And I think there's so many synergies, you know, with business owners and, and what we do, you know, in terms of looking for, for solutions to our complex problems and property owners and potential buyers, investors, and also people looking at other, you know, generally the big picture of how to manage your money so that it will support our life. Yeah, I think as we started out, there's that structure of what's happening across our life and what's, what does an investment look like and just broadening that perspective to start with. So you've got a platform there on which you're building your financial well-being and there are a whole bunch of things in there, property, um, other investment tools, your business. And your own business. Yeah. Thank well, you so much. <laughs> thank you. It's been fun. Yeah, cool. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Let's have a little bit more of a conversation around Susie's point and recommendation about slowing down to speed up. Now, we've talked about this in previous episodes and, and in particular we've talked about it in relation to tree change and sea change. So the episode with Bryce Holdaway, I think that was episode 38 from memory, um, where we talk about why are we rushing? Why do we need to rush? slow down to actually examine all the options that are available to you because often there are more options available to us than we think. And so Susie raising that in this episode is something that we want to talk a little bit more about, the actual cost of rushing and buying a property without fully understanding what your options are and how that impacts. And so there are costs associated with buying property and there's costs associated with selling property. And if you buy the wrong property and, and more so around, I guess, your own home, but certainly there are other costs associated with buying the wrong investment, but that, that's a different point here. Really sort of focusing on your own home. 
So Susie said that uh, they sold their house in Bondi when they moved to London and, and sort of, and then bought a house over there to live. And, and in doing so, they ended up costing themselves hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially more. And the thing is that even if you do it in the same city, but you buy the wrong property, you have spent money selling, you've spent money buying. And if you have to sell again, you're going to spend money selling and spend money buying again. And you really are talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And just to give you an example, and look, Chris is really the financial one, but I'll, ch- I'll chuck a few out there for you. Just to give you an example, say you bought a $500,000 property and it was the wrong one for you. And you realise within sort of 18 months, maybe a year, two years, that it was not right. So you've cost, the costs associated with buying a property around about 5% of the property's value. So therefore you've loaned 25 grand buying the property in the first place. Then you go to sell it. Now, if you're lucky, it's gone up in value. Um, If you're unlucky, it hasn't. So let's say maybe it's gone up 20% in two years. That's a really good result, by the way. So even if it's gone up 20% in two years, that's an extra $100,000. You're selling it, it's $600,000 when you go to sell. Okay, so the cost to sell a property is around about 3% in total, you know, legals and and all the things you have to do, the property and paying the agent, et cetera, et cetera. So Chris, what's 3% of $600,000? 18. Thank you. So let's add up our cost. We've got 25 grand plus 18. 43. Right. And we're going to buy another property. And this time we need to spend a little bit more money and maybe it's going to cost, say, $700,000 to buy the right property in this particular, you know, exercise. So another 5% in costs. So what's 5% of 700? 35? 35, yep. What are we up to in costs? 78 are we up to? 77. 77, (laughs) something like that. So you have just cost yourself over and above what would have been your cost if you actually bought the right property in the first place is around about 50 grand in unnecessary cost plus heartache plus moving costs plus everything else so look that's just a really simple illustration of what happens when you rush and you don't properly consider what all your options are that's just one little example and it is a very expensive exercise buying property and selling property and then buying again some people don't even have the wherewithal or the opportunity to actually get out of the bad decision and get into a better decision. So it is something that we really exhort you to slow down and take it very, very seriously. And when you do it, once you've educated yourself and you've really looked at all the options carefully, you can move forward with confidence and you will save yourself a lot of heartache and money in the long run. Please join us for our next episode when we interview quantity surveyor Mike Mortlock. Now, we had a very revealing chat with Mike. He revealed some little tiny details that investors need to understand that trigger paying more tax. And if you don't know about it, how you can get caught out. Neither Chris nor I actually knew either of these. So I'm telling you, when you learn new stuff in an episode, you've got to listen. So come along and listen to this one. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. 
If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.